So Money Episode 790, Karen Burgreen, comedian and author. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. October 3rd, 2018. If you've been following me on Instagram or maybe get my newsletter, you might know that I recently took stand-up comedy classes here in New York City at Manhattan Comedy School. Uh, It was just something I always wanted to do. It scared me, so I had to try it. And I didn't bomb. Actually, I have a performance tonight. I've been doing a couple of performances here and there at Gotham Comedy Club at 7 p.m. And if you are in town, would love to see you. A little last minute notice, but I would love to see you IRL in real life. I thought who better to have on So Money today than my comedy school teacher from Manhattan Comedy School, Karen Burgreen. She is a comic, and over the past decade, she's been keeping audiences rolling in the aisles all across the country. She's been on Comedy Central, Oxygen Network, VH1, The View, and she performs all over the city, including live at Gotham. She's also an author of two fiction books. She keeps very busy as a mom of two. Her books are called Perfect is Overrated and Following Polly, a novel. She and I discuss all the the highs and lows of being a female stand-up comic growing up in New York City. She says when people didn't want to be labeled as rich and Karen's transition over to comedy. You know, she graduated from Harvard. She went to law school, worked in law for a few years, but then she changed course. How she pivoted, why she pivoted is where we begin. Here we go. Here's Karen Burgreen. Karen Burgreen, welcome to So Money. It's so nice to invite my teacher on the show. Welcome. Hi, Parnoosh, who is so talented and funny, and I'm sure your listeners know that already. Oh my gosh, thank you for saying that. I mean, we had our little graduation and it's an unparalleled audience, right? It's like all your friends and like my husband and everyone else's friends and family. And so if you don't get laughs, like you're doing... You're just, I don't even know what, what's going on. Like it was, I I know, but I happen to have had a friend in the audience that night who was blown away and she particularly mentioned you. So that, that came unsolicited, that little. Oh, thank you. Well, props to you, Karen, for carrying us to the finish line in some ways. You know, it's a six week program that we all embarked on and the class did eventually shrink in size. But you said that's pretty typical. But the remaining students, I felt, you know, we all grew and I think we all, you know, we came for a reason. We felt maybe we had some funny things to say, but stand up is such an art form. It's not like just telling jokes to your friend at a dinner party. It's like you really, it's about, yeah. And you really got kind of gave us the mechanics, but also um, a lot of good framework for telling good jokes on the stage. And you are a professional comedian, but you didn't start out as a comedian and so let's go I back not. in time. Let's go back in time a little bit. Tell me about Harvard and, you know, your law experiments and, and ultimately what brought you to comedy. So but way back when, young Karen, like younger Karen, 20s Karen. Young Karen. What, what were the, what were the yep. hopes and dreams? 
Well, the hopes and dreams of young Karen, I, I mean, I just wanted something to, I actually wanted to do something that was fun and relevant. And I didn't have any idea beyond that. I didn't, I never, like, I never thought to go to a guidance person back in the dark ages when I was little, like parents didn't sit down with their kids always and say, you know, here, here's what you should do. And so I ended up, you know, I'm at Harvard and frankly, all I did at Harvard was watch TV. And a friend of mine said to me, you know, you should do something in television. And I was like, no, I thought that was like not intellectual enough Mm. and sort of like, and I, I also was afraid of what my parents would think because they're a little snobby that way. And I just didn't really focus on it. So I kind of last minute, I went and like was a paralegal on a big law firm, which I didn't really like. And I actually tried to do doing stand up like secretly at night. I didn't tell my, my family, I didn't tell most of my friends. And it was very like it was a lifestyle that grossed me out and it was a lot of drugs. It was, I I didn't relate to any of the people. I mean, back then people, there was nobody in stand up that I met who had gone to Harvard. There was nobody who really went to college. I mean, it was a different, at least in the open mic sort of dark of the night scene. It was just, I felt very alone. I was immature. I didn't have enough of a hunger for it. And it just, it kind of threw me. And then I went to law school, didn't even love law school, but I'm somebody who, even though I don't love things, I like them. So I was sort of fine with all this stuff. And then I went and worked in a big law firm and it was fine, but I looked around at the people who worked in the firm and there was nobody who I wanted to be. And you know how in every job, there's somebody you want to be like, you know, up until that point, like, in high school, there, you know, when I was like in ninth grade, there was like the senior I wanted to be. When I was in college, there was a, uh, there were like other students I wanted to be, our professors. And even in law school a little bit, but in the law firm, and there was just, it was very disheartening. And then I started to, then I went sort of backwards and I clerked for a judge. And for, for your listeners who, know the law. That's like something you usually do right out of law school. Um, it was a great job. It was really fun. And I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to get a job that's this much fun. And I interviewed at a bunch of places and I even interviewed at a network um, doing, you know, sort of, you know, contract law, you know, contracts for, for the network kind of thing. And I walked in and there were, you know, posters of the sitcom stars of the time, which were, you know, the most famous people. And I, I was like, Oh my God. And I actually harbored this weird fantasy that I'd be like funny, you know, in the law part. And suddenly somebody from the creative part would be like, she's hilarious. Let's cast her. She's in the wrong. Yeah. She's in the wrong place. Like I actually had this fantasy that that was going to happen. It was, so deranged and in denial and and but then I sat with like six of them it was like a third interview I sat with six of them and they were just and they couldn't have been nicer but they were so opposite of me they were very buttoned up and perfect like perfectly pressed and they said do you have any questions for us 
And I started to picture that all I would be doing is stuff I'm not good at, which is proofreading and little details and stuff. And I, I was like having an anxiety attack. And I said, you know what? I think I'm in the wrong place. I'm going to go pursue my career as a stand-up comic. And, and I'm sure when I left, they were like, oh, my God, we dodged a huge bullet. <laughs> and I left. And then I just started doing, you know, open mics. I'd been doing a little bit of that and some improv stuff for fun. I got cast in some strange little thing on USA Network, like during that time. And I remember somebody saying to me, you have to treat this as a job. You have to treat your learning about stand-up as the way, you know, you get up when you get up for work, like get up at that hour. And it was really good advice. And I took acting, I had money, some money saved from being a lawyer. I took some acting classes. I also kept working as a lawyer doing contract work, like, you know, writing, I worked at a law firm doing like writing briefs for them and saved up money. And then, um, and then I, um, and then, sorry, a call came through and I lost my thing. So I wrote briefs for these people. And then I started to, like within a couple of years, I started getting on television commercials and stuff. And I mm. finally said goodbye to the law. And I, at that time, I was actually, I was making a pretty okay living doing like TV commercials. I was, there was more money to be given out at comedy during that time doing certain kinds of shows. I had a development deal at HBO. Wow. Um, pretty busy. All by yourself? Yeah, or did you have a team at that point? I had a manager. Mm-hmm. I had a manager. I had a manager that sort of discovered me like uh, pretty early on, like maybe two or three years into it. And he introduced me to a lot of people. Um, I, in fact, I would say I was probably too passive. I should have been more, I should have relied less on him. But I, at that point, I, was, I am a little bit of a rule follower. And, you know, and so mm-hmm. I kind of did what he said. And, and he, he gave pretty good guidance at that point. Did you feel like you had a community of other people supporting you? Like, what is the climate in the comedy world in terms of people like supporting each other? Like as an entrepreneur, I feel like there's all these networks, especially for women to support each other. And like in comedy, is it just super competitive? You're really in your own silo. How does it work? I I had a couple of friends at that time that I was really close to, you know, before I got married, like really close to like we would go out and do open mics together and hang out like every night we would go, you know, go to the open mics at mics and then maybe go to the diner for dinner or something like that. Um, but there was, there weren't a lot of women and, you know, there was never like, you would never be on a show where there was another one. So you didn't really have like the only Because it was just too much estrogen for the, for the audience or what? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, we already have a woman. Oh my gosh. We've... Or they'd be like, we have a black person, so we can't have a woman. Like, oh my gosh. It's very different. Yeah. What year was and this? Then the, when this was like in the early, like 2000s. Jeez. Late, late, 19, late 90s. Um, like they would say stuff. I mean, it's very behind, you know, it's very behind all of the stuff that was, it was really weird for me coming from, a legal background, like not just legal, but like I was clerking for a federal judge where I was doing cases like about 
through sex discrimination. But like, you know, like what's it going to help me going like, hey, I have a law degree. You know, nobody would let you know what I mean? You just have to kind of keep your head down a little bit. And so they would sometimes put on all women shows. Um, and then women would be happy to perform together. Very competitive. They were like different. You know, some women were very supportive of each other and some were just like there's not enough spots for everybody. So they were a little bit cutthroat, which I see less in the in the male comic community because there is often room for more than one guy in the show and guy at the top. So it was, it was definitely, I didn't have this huge sense of community. Now there may be another comic from that time that disagrees with me, but that was not my feeling. I sense much more now from my, like just being on Facebook and stuff. I'm in a lot of sort of female comic groups and there's so much support out there. There's a lot more opportunities to perform. There's a, there's more of a desire to see female comics um, still right. it could use some work. But. Yes. Yes, I agree. And like a lot of boys clubs industries, I think that it's going to take time, but, but there's a lot of sea change happening, whether you're looking at places like the comedy world or, you know, the film industry, financial right. industry, there's, there's a, where, you know, usually male dominated, I think, um, bad behavior is less, is, is, is not going unnoticed. But, you know, the, the funny thing to me is like with TV, with comedy, with movies, with with novels, you know, uh, the audience is women. Like, you know, it's women who say, I want this TV show. Women are the ones who binge watch the TV shows. Women are the ones who say, you know, let's go to this movie uh, in the relationship. I think generally, not always, but generally, when, you know, in in fiction writing, I think it's 70% of novelists are women. And it's because women read novels. I think if women, if women start supporting shows that have more women on them, that's when it's going to be the change. You know, I think just this thing with, I'm having a blank with the Greta Gerwig movie, that adorable movie that was up for an Oscar last year. Do you know oh, the one I'm thinking yeah, of? Um, the one um, about, yes, it was about her sort of high school comeuppance and her, yes, I watched and it, it. Yeah, it was great. It, the fact of the matter is, I, you know, I want to see that kind of movie all the time. You know, those, I like those little character study kind of, I saw Peppermint because I have two children and nothing on Jennifer Garner, but Jennifer Garner was not the executive producer of the movie. She didn't write the movie. She didn't, you know, she didn't direct the movie and all that money came in. And it was this sort of fantasy, this revenge fantasy where she's so strong and everything, but it wasn't really, it didn't really have a feminine voice to it, you know? And I do think if what, and I went with my husband and kids and my kids, you know, we're young and they like it because it had violence in it. And my husband was like, it's, my husband didn't mind it. I mean, he didn't think it was good, but he didn't mind. For me, I was like, this is, why is this movie being made? And it's, you know, I, it's, I'm not here to bash Peppermint, but I'm just thinking like, it's just the kinds of things where if women are more aggressive about the kind of movies and the kind of TV shows and the books and stuff and the kind of comedy that they want to see, this is all going to change because the people who book the comedy club, all they care about is money. You know, they're not sitting there thinking like, we got to 
Right. They're not thinking like we got to keep the male patriarchy happening. They don't even know what that is. You know, they're like, we need to sell tickets. Right. And I think to your point, what um, Frances McDormand talked about this inclusion writer at the Oscars where she was Mm -hmm. like, you know, you want these movies made. And yeah, great that we have these, you know, female driven stories. But we also need the people who are writing the stories and directing the stories and, um, you know, just all the production people like we need more um, women there as well, because that is ultimately what does lend itself to that feminine voice and that feminine kind of like framework that you were talking about. Um, right. Yeah. I love that when she did that. Yeah. It was so important. I forgot, and, I forgot that they did that. Yeah. I didn't even know that was like, you, you know, that you could even request this, but yeah, if you're, you know, um, a Hollywood actress, like you should ask for this in, in the movie that you're being cast in. So the movie that you were mentioning, the Frances McDormand movie, by the way, is Lady Bird. And yeah, was really really great. Okay, so just wanted to. I know some listeners always like like yeah. latch onto those things. They want to know, and I wanted to know too. Um, so you mentioned briefly kind of how you supported yourself financially as you transitioned from law to comedy. You seems like you straddled both worlds, and then even still, as now a full time comedian, you also have a very successful writing career writing novels. And so tell us about how that became part of also your, your career and your ecosystem. Well, and also to be fair, I'm also married to somebody who makes way more money than I do. So that's like, I would be living a different, I would be living a different life. So I want to make that very clear. Um, But the, but also because I got married and had kids and I was home all the time and I have a husband who was a workaholic and, um, who is, you know, sort of a traditional guy. Uh, he's Latin. <laughs> um, he, when we, when, when I had my kids, especially after the second kid, a lot of the work kind of dried up. In fact, my manager, who I'd been very close with, jumped me without a thought. Like I didn't even get a, I didn't even get an email nothing. And it was very weird. I I think he just literally didn't know how to say, you know, I don't think this relationship is going to be lucrative for us anymore. So instead he like ghosted me, but it was a very long relationship that just ended. And it's, it's just, it was upsetting. And I just, I started, you know, the work kind of dried up and more than that, I was home all the time. And I went through, what I diagnosed myself as having like a postpartum depression. And I did, I, for many reasons, like, you know, I don't think it was almost like a Brooke shield. Like I was tempted to like, you know, throw myself down the stairs or throw the babies down the stairs or anything like that. It was more like, I just felt this weird identity thing where I thought, Oh my God, I'm, I'm a mother now. Like, that's my whole thing. I'm not a comic anymore. And people would come up to me. They'd be like, Hey mommy. Like that was my new thing. And it's really like, I was the same person, but I had kids, but suddenly this new identity was thrust upon me and I didn't really know how to integrate that into my life. And I didn't have as many opportunities to just keep the comedy muscle going. Like I couldn't, I, you know, I didn't see the justification for, you know, working. I do a lot of work for free. And I, the idea of paying, you know, 50 bucks to a babysitter 
to go out and perform for free, then maybe have to take cabs because I felt bad about leaving the kids and, you know, or I, or I would work for a small, you know, club money is nothing. So even if you're getting like a real spot at a comedy club, which is your way to get other work, um, I still like had a hard time with it. And I got very depressed. And I remember at that time, my uh, friend of mine had said to me, you know, you should really write a novel because you think like a novelist and you read a lot. So I started to write a novel and I wrote a novel. I wrote my first novel, which is really about somebody finding her hopes and dreams, as you put it. Did you read my first novel? Because it was funny that you said that. I didn't read your first novel, but... Oh, I'm just really like good. that was the whole thing. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. Like the whole thing is like, I mean, it's a comic romantic mystery. Like it's not, it's not, you know, uh, it, it's not meant to be anything else, but you know, in order to support the story, it has to have a little oomph to it. And it really is about finding your hopes and dreams. And then, um, and then after I did that novel, I wrote a novel where I explored the whole postpartum depression thing about the the self-identity of women after they have children. And again, not the kind of chemical stuff that some people are talking about, but this identity stuff. And I, and when I went on tour with that book, like so many psychotherapists and psychiatrists would say to me, Oh my God, you nailed this. Like, and I just did it literally. I said, I just really wrote from my own experience. That was it. And, um, so that's what, so I, I did try to, you know, I do think stand up isn't a great career for somebody who has small children. Um, because it, unless you really have a terrific partnership with somebody because, and it's not that my husband, my husband is a great partner, but he wasn't a good partner when the kids were small in terms of taking on, you know, half the work kind of thing. It's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. And my standup changed. I used to be a completely, you know, the comedy that you saw me doing at your graduation show was not what I used to do. I used to do very dry observational, like my idol had always been Jerry Seinfeld and I, I didn't do Seinfeld stuff, but I did, it was a little bit like stuff that I was very removed from, like the kind of stuff I would talk about was you know, I talk about which is really hard, by the way, because um, sometimes the lowest hanging comedic fruit is like the stuff that you have a lot of, you know, your experience experience with. Right. 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 That triggers you more into like the Yeah, I was really into the word puzzles, you know, like sort of like I was into the puzzle of writing a joke like the Right. The the, the, I was the intellect in you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like the academic. And then And then I wasn't motivated by that once I had kids. That was another thing that happened to me. I was like, why am I talking about Starbucks, you know, in my act? Like, (laughs) I I have these like I had so much this huge well of emotions that were going on and I wasn't doing any of them. Do you think that if you had so, gotten pregnant at this stage in your career, let's say, you know, you're because like I'm looking at women like Ali Wong. Um, right. And even like, you know, although Tina Fey and and some of the others were already famous before they had children. Um, I do think that there's more of an acceptance or and like more of an in- a curiosity, even an interest in women who are going through real life things and also. Yeah. Telling jokes. 
Yes. Well, I do. I remember, I remember like, I remember three nights before I had my, my first son, I was at the comic strip on a Friday night. It was like, you know, around 10 o'clock at night. And there was a girl who must've been, you know, in her early twenties in the audience. And she stood up during my act and, you know, I had a pregnant belly, although it was kind of weird, like the way I got pregnant, I just looked fat. And um, she stood up and she said, I said, I had one joke about being pregnant. I had, I had a joke like, um, it was something like, we want a boy, or we want a girl, but if we have a boy, we'll raise it as a girl, which is totally like an inappropriate joke that you could never mm-hmm. tell now, but a joke that like was sort of my, I used to, that was like my throwaway joke for the audience to let them know that I knew I was pregnant, but I didn't even like telling the joke. I was just like wanting to do my stuff. And this girl stood up. She said, I think um, it's disgusting. She was disgusting to be pregnant <gasps> and you look disgusting. Wow. And she was wearing a t-shirt. I kid you. I, I mean, I slammed her like she was wearing a t-shirt that said like, you know, sex, drugs and cocaine or something. And then I made fun of the fact that drugs and cocaine were like redundant. Like I was completely like mean <laughs> to her, but it was, but it was the kind of thing that nobody now would say. I don't think a heckler would say that. You know, that and nobody from the club tried to, you know, nobody from the club said, ooh, like, you know, went over to her and said, sit down or anything. It was just, there's just a, there's a different feel now. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like, you know, right now women feel like they're under attack, but women are way less under attack. Right. I I do agree with that. And that's a good thing. And um, maybe men feel more under attack now, but that's also we're we're, we're trying to level the playing field, everybody. Okay, right. So so some people are going to get more affected than others. Um. I do. I feel like men probably do feel like they were under attack because they were never they could do things without any consequence. And now there's like and now there are consequences. Hmm. You know what? It's like there's nothing in it for them except for sort of feeling fair to sort of let women have a seat at the table. Like there is going to be less for them, you know, less room for them at the job. There is going to be more accountability. I can understand why they might feel threatened. I really do. Yeah. But that's but but it's kind of like, so what? That's the way it is. Right. You know, that's the right Welcome thing. to our world. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, Karen, tell me a little bit about growing up in New York City. That's always, I always find that fascinating, meeting people who actually lived here since childhood. I, I got that from your bio. Maybe I, right. I, I don't know how true that is in terms of like, yeah. were you born here? No, okay. I, did. I lived here. I've never, I've never, I've never not lived here. Wow. Um, as an, as a non-student. Um, so I, how does that, how does um, that um, impact your lens through which you see like the world of money and th- things that of value it? Cause I feel like living here, I have such a jaded sense of what mm-hmm. things should cost and what things are worth because I pay right. so much for milk and everything else. But, um, well, the dirty you- little secret mm-hmm. is that when I grew up, New York was actually not expensive. Like New York was really cheap when I grew up yeah. and suddenly everything happened. Everything happened around like the, I think there was some in the nineties, I think things got out of control. Um, but you could really live. I mean, people, you could have like a very low paying job and live in Manhattan. You might not live in a nice area, but you could live in Manhattan. You could have a, you know, 
you could, you didn't have to have a roommate or anything like that. I mean, I remember I lived in right out of when I was a lawyer, I paid $800 a month for my apartment and I had a big apartment on Park Avenue, a one bedroom apartment. Wow. Yeah. You can't even get I mean, a parking spot a, on Park Avenue for $800 yeah. a month now. Right. No. I mean, you can't get a go to Starbucks for that. Like, it's a joke. And um, so I do think that, but I did, you know, I grew up, I went to a private school and I went to school with very rich people, but the view of money was very different. And this is less about sort of financial advice than just sort of the way people, the culture of money, how it's changed. When I grew up talking about, you know, your wealth and showing off how much money you had was considered in such bad taste. So that nobody would ever, people didn't even wear like, people didn't really wear a designer bag that had like a big logo on it. I mean, if you did, you were considered sort of quote low class. Like it was just a very different world. Like people in New York didn't dress up for everything and people didn't have to wear, put on, you know, a full face of makeup to just leave their house the way people feel that they do now. Again, that's something that happened, I don't know, with reality TV and and stuff like that, where suddenly the showing off thing with money became not only acceptable, but that's like what people do. You know, people want you to know. I mean, I remember there was a girl in my my school growing up who had a, a car and driver and no one knew if she would be dropped off like a block away from the school, it would be embarrassing. It was embarrassing for her. It was humiliating for her. That is really interesting. And now that's not the case. Now when people have it, they want everybody to know. Right. It's a very different feel. Interesting. I wonder. No, so I do think like it was kind of like you didn't, there wasn't that feel of the haves and the have nots around money the way Mm. there is now and things were affordable like private school was affordable I mean things just Mm. it just it was a different world now New York wasn't as nice as it is now it wasn't as pretty Central Park was a dump you know and there were there was crime but I you know it's like you know it's a big it's a very different city like I remember I I think uh, Chris Noth said on some interviews that New York was like Dubai now. Like, it's <laughs> a big mall. It's like you Las know, Vegas. Yeah, or it's like all about yeah. the ex- exuberance yeah. showing you off. And I do think that something, you know, over maybe it was, I don't know exactly the decade, but it was a lot of, I think the internet has definitely, we now can see how everyone else is living. Mm-hmm. We can we know how much people paid for things. There's all that is more transparent now. And I think that right. that has uh, changed behavior and changed value systems. And I think that companies that want to make more money, they are also targeting people more precisely like social media. And they're really they're really tugging at our purse strings and our sort of emotional strings too. like, you know, you need this, whatever, because this right because they're they're equating it to things that that suggest that if you don't have this or if you do have this and it says something about your character or, you know, your devotion. Like I know as a mom, there's so much stuff that is being marketed to me and others. Right. That if I don't buy this certain whatever, then I'm like, I'm 
the not, stroller. Yeah, like the $800 stroller. Like I'm basically right. endangering my child if I don't get it. That's true. I mean, and well, even things as simple as like the cable bill. I mean, I remember the cable bill being like eight or nine dollars because you didn't have a lot of channel. And suddenly, I don't know, at like literally like overnight one time it was like a hundred something dollars for TV. But when I grew up, there wasn't even cable. So you didn't have to pay extra for TV. The phone was basically, I mean, you had to pay for like the price for long distance phone call was expensive, but the phone was really the phone call bill was nothing. And now, you know, everyone's forced to buy these expensive phones where you have, you know, their kids are addicted. So you have to buy a lot of data. So you have, you know, several hundred dollars a month in a phone bill. You know, your kids are still small, but my kids, like, if I didn't do the unlimited data plan, we would be paying twice as much on overages. The phone, though, is sort of like everything now, though, right? I forgot my wallet right. last night. I was I went to a comedy show, in fact, with some girlfriends, and I forgot my wallet, but I could still get by. I could pay everybody back using my, you know, Chase Pay or whatever. And then also right. I had Uber <laughs> so I could get home. And right. so I don't really need my wallet anymore is what I, I guess. Well, life is definitely more convenient now. And it's sort of easier, I guess, but it is, it does, it's just everything is so expensive and it doesn't seem to be that people's salaries are going up to meet that, you know, to meet the cost of what we're being given and the stroller thing. I mean, the one thing I was thinking when I was talking about the, what just sort of goes back to the money thing about how people don't, um, you know, didn't used to talk about how much things, you know, how rich they were. I think there's also like a value now in getting stuff for really cheap that people didn't used to brag about. So that's the the opposite side. Like, you know, now if you can find like a fabulous dress for $11, you tell everybody, you know, but I don't know that that was true when I was growing up. I think that would be embarrassing, you know, to get something for cheap, you know, because people just really didn't talk about money. So I mean, there was a little bit of that sort of puritanical, like you don't talk about money. So complex, which is, I think, why I think it's so fascinating. And I'm I'm grateful now that, you know, we can talk about it to an extent. But yeah, there's still people that I have on this show that uh, don't want to answer some of my questions because they're like, that's not how I was raised, Farnoosh, you know, and I I think that's interesting, too. Right. Well, it is really complicated um, because it does because because also the what you're being paid for certain jobs and stuff seems kind of arbitrary. I mean, I know it's not because it's all about, but it does it does seem to not necessarily measure up to how hard you work. Net worth, self worth. You know, there is that there is that relationship. Right. I think that people right. Have. Interesting. Well, who knew we were going to talk so much about this kind of stuff with having you on the podcast? I, I mean, I kind of thought we would, but we didn't get to this during I, class. I, I feel bad because I have not said one funny thing. <laughs> I said well, funny thing. I would never I'm put you on the spot person. like that. And I mean, this is but you have been a delight and you I, we can obviously tell like you have a good sense of humor and tell us how we can learn where you'll be performing next. This is October 3rd. This is episode is airing. So do you have anything that's happening like that, you know, about in the, in the month of October that we can, uh, there's nothing I can think of right now, but like, do 
you know what, I'm like, I'm one of my goals is to be very update myself all the time on Facebook. So you can be friend me on Facebook or follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And I also have a website, karenbergreen.com. Yes, which we will put as well on our site. And we'll, we mentioned it in the intro and we'll remind people at the end. Last but not least, let's do some so money fill in the blanks, Karen. Just finish the sentence. Okay. I mean, this is where you can like, okay. you know, do a little improv. Oh, this, is where I can be funny. this is my okay. so money improv opportunity for everybody on the show. Okay. So, okay. The, okay. If Proctologist. I, <laughs> frame all the time. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is get a masseuse on hand, like on staff. On demand. Yeah. Like on demand and like, and somebody to like do pass around hors d'oeuvres on demand. <laughs> yeah. Like an au pair, but you also are very yeah. handsy. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, Okay. The one thing I spend money on that makes my life easier or better is? Ooh, um, kettle jalapeno potato chips. Ooh, the kettle. From Dwayne Reed. Yeah. Kettle jalapeno potato chips. And, and the reason why I spend money is this is from Dwayne Reed, which is an overpriced pharmacy. <laughs> well, they have like a lot. Like $7 for, they call it seven servings, but it's one serving. Oh, come on. Seven servings? Are you chipmunks? Yeah. Like, like I don't. I, yeah. Yeah. Like no. Seven servings if you are, you know, anorexic. Yeah. Like, you're a Hollywood actress. Okay. Oh, right. my gosh. That's terrible. Okay. We didn't really mean that. Um, right. When I splurge, like, really, you know, you go for the big kahuna. I like to spend my money on. Um, restaurants. Yeah, I like spend my money on restaurants. I love, you know, I like eating out. Do you feel and like like a little too much wine? Yeah, I mean, I a love little, a little, just a little too much. A little. I had one glass of white wine last night, and I'm paying for it this morning. And I don't know if it's like got to drink more. You got to drink more. I got to drink more, I guess. But uh, yeah, because it's like it's like exercise. You know how you exercise. I got to flex lot, the wine muscle. If you drink a lot, you get good at it. I got to flex thing. the muscle. Okay. So just, that was not the answer I thought I was going to get. I thought it was like, you need to drink, hydrate and sleep more. Cause you know. No, just drink more. That will totally okay. help you. All right. I'll work on that. All right. So one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. You should save it. <laughs> you should save your money not spend it on, on Dwayne Reed oh my god those jalapeno chips they don't they got rid of the um I feel like sour cream is 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 escaping the market I, I that's my favorite flavor and now it's being replaced by like really? sriracha I'm never I mean I'm all about spice yeah so the I sriracha the jalapeno spice, yeah yeah, it's, and I like the combination of sweet with spicy. So there's one that's like salt. sweet chili that I like. Oh man, I'm kind of a chip expert. If you have a podcast, you should do it. You should do jokes about that. That's hilarious. Right. You right. should you should write some jokes around. That. I have a gift. I have a gift, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good. I can eat a whole bag in one serving so, instead of seven. And by the way, that's not even, it's not like that's a substitute for any of the other meals or snacks in the day. That's like a no. separate. And snack. how are you so thin? May I ask? Is it just good? I genes? exercise a lot. You exercise a lot. What's your, what's your yeah. favorite exercise running or? Electrical, electrical, okay. electrical. You know why? 
because you could do it in front of the TV. And I love TV. That's the everything's full there, circle. Oh, we've come full circle. You're right. You can't really yes. run. I, I don't really understand these treadmills with televisions. I'm like, I can't enjoy this Allie McBeal episode right now. I'm dying at right. six miles per hour. When are you watching Allie McBeal? What channel is that? Um, it's on, I think it's on Hulu. Hulu? Yeah. Oh. I belong to New York sports where they don't have Hulu. Do you do it on a, on a, like I belong to like, one thing I don't spend money on is my, is my, is my fitness regime. Like I belong to New York sports, which is like a subway with an elliptical. Uh. Disgusting. <laughs> I hope you, you don't have a New York sports CEO. No, we just fan. got this Chelsea Pierce. Suck. I live in Brooklyn and Oh, okay. Which uh, is I love where I live. We have all these great restaurants, and and we have Dwayne Reed. We also have this um, Chelsea Piers. Just by the way, up. Brooklyn was like not a thing. No, it was wasn't. Brooklyn was sort of yeah. It just became a it thing like, like four well, weeks ago. Like it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, no, I was here before it was. And cool. it's still not a thing for me. No offense. No, I know. It's I used to live on the Upper West Side. I miss it. Yeah, it's Brooklyn is like. It's like the Upper West Side, but in the, another city. Like, it's not, I mean, you know, if you're from New York City, unless you're from Brooklyn, like if you're from Brooklyn, it's all about Brooklyn. But if you're from Manhattan, going to Brooklyn seems like you're, you need know, demoting. Yeah, stuff. you need, like, uh, I, your I'm passport. I'm going to get hate mail, but the Brooklyn people are very into Brooklyn people are very into Brooklyn in a way that Manhattan people are not into Manhattan. But Manhattan people just assume Manhattan. Yes. You know? Well, also you raised there too, so this you're very right. you have a, a strong allegiance to it. I get it. Right. It's totally gets. And it. it also just makes more sense. Like the like, I love the way the streets are laid out. Everything. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a grid. It's like city. Yeah, city for dummies. That's so good. <laughs> I know. One time I got in a cab and I said, I'm going to 3rd Street and like 6th Avenue. And he was like, how do I get there? I was like, are you serious? We're at like 4th right. Street and 2nd Avenue. So just do the math. Like, I mean, that is a guy who really, like, oh, why he probably needs you to go 432 6th Avenue. Because he does everything on the GPS. He doesn't understand the way the grip Yeah, grid he doesn't works. understand the grid. So right. that was frustrating. But that was also before, um, like, I think really GPSs, GPSs were a thing. Oh, okay. Um, all right. And last but not least, I'm Karen Burgreen. I'm so money because. Um, oh, my God. That's a hard one. <laughs> um, because. I have a great dog. That's pathetic. That's you have a, a great dog. Answer. Dog or job? I do. Dog. Dog. It's dog. the only other woman in your uh, in your family, right? Yeah, she's so good. She's standing right next to me. She's just looking at me, <laughs> staring at me. It's like, what so about, I wanted to do something that I felt good about myself for, and it's really, it's not my kids, it's not my husband, it's not my work. It's the fact that I have this. Endless affection. Oh, a great investment. I know, but you know what? You should just like, I didn't like that answer. And I'm not really sure what a good answer would be, but find an answer that somebody else gave you and just like, and just splice it in my voice. You're going to sound like someone else, but no, I I mean, I'm so money because I have great boobs or something, which I would never say. 
But that's like, I think that's like the right answer. Like I have, I have really great boobs. That is a first time on the show. But right. I, I like it. I mean, so money, it's just this uh, open-ended, you know, definition. Right. It's like, right. whatever, like it could be a real money-oriented answer or it could be like, I have great, do you want to do a makeover or should we keep it? No, I think it's funnier like that. Yeah, I think so right? too. I think so too. Like just like with me being paranoid, so I gave a wrong answer. <laughs> um, have you started fall classes yet? Are you have, do you have a new class for your uh, Manhattan School I of Comedy? I have a new class starting October, um, I think it's October 8th. October 8th. Okay, so you do have time to sign up for Karen's class at uh, the Manhattan Van- Comedy School. Manhattan Comedy School. That's where I went. It's six weeks. It's- I also do private coaching. Yes. Do private coaching if you don't want to deal with the class. Although, I, you know, this isn't in my financial interest, which is, as you know, I'm not good at that. But it, this is not in my financial interest. But I do think if you've never done stand up before, you're better off taking a class. But if you if that doesn't sort of fit you, I'm a good private coach, too. All right, Karen, I might take you up on that. Mm. I need to do more Persian mom Please jokes. Do. I have a lot of material that has the yet Persian to, mom the stuff Persian is mom. so money. <laughs> That's so money. It's culturally relevant. Everyone's talking about their culture these days, and I feel like I got right. some stuff to add to that conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. This was fun. Jalapeno chips in your future. To learn more about Karen, visit KarenBurgreen.com. You can also find her on Twitter at Karen Burgreen. To learn more about Manhattan Comedy School, maybe take Karen's class, go to ManhattanComedySchool.com. And as a reminder, I will be at Gotham Comedy tonight. That is in Chelsea in Manhattan, 7 p.m., two drink minimum. But I would love to see you. And if you are going to come, let me know ahead of time on Instagram or email me so that I make sure to say hi after the show. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money. Money.